Welcome to X-Rated Movies, a podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Whedon. I'm another one of your hosts, Matthew Fisher. And today, we're here to talk about sleepovers. Sleepovers. (laughs) Well, first, I I was going to say that... uh, We have to address the elephant in the room. Yeah. uh, uh, Sadly, Corey J. Brewer could not be here for for our... uh, Giallo exploration. There was a scheduling conflict, and he was not able to make it today. But never fear, he will be on shortly, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, one day mm-hmm. soon. Uh, so just put it back in your pants, everyone. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Your 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 Corey J. Brewer boner. Just keep it <laughs> on the back burner, on the back brewer for the time being. In the meantime, why don't we uh let's let's throw a shout out to the suspense is killing us, who also had him on talking about three different Giallo movies than the ones we were going to talk about. Uh, yeah. They, there was one that they talked about, and and some of the people on that podcast said that it was like one of the worst movies they'd ever seen in their lives. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Well, check that out. It's called Giallo Shots. Yeah, which is very by the, clever by the Spencer's Killings. They always have good puns for their titles. Yeah, I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they'll never top Glupenheim. <laughs> By the way, I just take this moment that uh, if you don't want to leave a review that says Jimmy Stewart Blumpkin, feel free to leave Guggen Gloop or <laughs> Gloopenheim. Yeah, either, either of those are solid. That's fine. I think that gives a good idea of what you're getting into with yeah. this pod. Anyway, but you brought up sleepovers earlier, I mean, Ryan. I'm tired and I like sleeping. You do seem a little low energy today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, sleep elusive sometimes. What were sleepovers like for you as a well, kid? I, I, I don't ask... know about your adult sleepovers. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, were you allowed to have a, a co-ed sleepovers as a kid? Yes. You were? I was. Really? Mm-hmm. All my friends were girls growing up. So. Yeah? Yeah. You see, I, I was never, like, I tried to. I think it was my, like, 13th birthday. Okay, okay. I tried to have, like, a big sleepover with all my friends. It was going to be, like, me and three other people. <laughs> uh, no, I wanted to invite, like, seven or eight of my friends over. Okay. And, like, three of them were girls. And, like, the amount of resistance I got to it from all parents really? was quite staggering. What, yes. was the, what was your age that you were turning? I want to say 12 to 13. Well, okay. That's a little close, but... Did they think there was going to be some big teenage orgy in our like basement or something it's more like a tweenage orgy yeah kind of yeah i don't know i mean i remember having sleepovers at that age and like the worst we would do is like stay up all night Mm -hmm. so we were delirious the next day and maybe seven minutes in heaven which included like a peck (laughs) in a closet like many pecks or just a single peck well the way i was doing it it was one oh really yeah. Or, or like, like tr- neither party's interested in it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Or like a truth or dare situation where it was like, you have to kiss so-and-so, but it was always just, you know, like a quick... That's as far as like 12, 13-year-olds going. In my day, I don't know what kids are up to these days. I was I was a little younger when I got a... Well, I don't, I'm trying to think of the first time I had like tongue. I, I was probably older than that. I think I was probably 17 when the first time I like got real tongue. Wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> like, my first kiss, I was 11. Was it a girl? Yeah. Mm. What's yeah it, what's she was name? a slut. Which, no, I'm not slut shaming, but it was like, she was older. She was 14. Oh. It was like a, a not a friend of the family situation, but kind of close to it. Okay. Uh, professional colleagues were like, 
having a party and like my mom was invited and like brought me and the kids of these colleagues uh like invited me and the friend that i had brought with me to the basement to like hang out with like the other kids Mm -hmm. it's like i was yeah 10 11 and she was like 14 oh that's a little and like at that age it's a huge difference difference. yeah like she might as well have like just you know been 50 to me like it didn't really <laughs> she was in middle school and you were in elementary school yes that is accurate oh my uh and we played suck and blow and yeah. we played uh truth or dare and we played uh like the pass the orange game oh you did it all yeah That's like the trifecta it was a it was an eye-opening experience and yeah there was just like four of us down there it was like me my friend who is also gay well he was gay back then too but he, he's gay now gayer probably (laughs) probably and yeah one other girl who i don't remember where she came into the mix but then yeah that's like 14 year old girl like yeah teaching us like how to play suck and blow and i was like i feel like a 14 year old girl and 11 year old boy like something tells me she's been playing suck and blow a lot these days (laughs) yeah we should look her up or she's just into younger men yeah that's if you could even describe me as that, at that shout point. out to Mary Kay Letourneau, <laughs> that trailblazer, Mary Kay Yeah. We don't have a guest here to pick our Giallo movie, which means we had to improvise. Yes, and. And so what happened was you picked a movie for us to watch. Yeah. At about, mm, I'm going to say five hours ago. (laughs) And uh, we watched it real quick like. Yeah. What movie was that? (laughs) The Handmaiden. Not our most graceful of pivots, but, you know, <laughs> considering the circumstances. We're dipping our well-manicured toes into the lakes of lesbian uh, fantasia again. Here we go. We're not strangers to this anymore, Matt. This ain't no tipping the velvet. We're not, we're not virgins here anymore. Well, it's funny you should bring up tipping the velvet, Ryan, <laughs> as The Handmaiden is based on a book by the very same author as Tipping the Velvet, Sarah Waters. I'm so excited to say the title of that book fingersmith i know it's just like huh conjures up all sorts of images i mean honestly you know if i was an author kind of struggling to make it especially in such a niche genre as lesbian fantasias (laughs) you would have to come up with a title that both spoke to lesbians but it was innocuous enough that like, you just couldn't call it, like, carpet munching. <laughs> so, like, tipping the velvet, which was a, a, a euphemism. Sure, yeah. It, you know, and fingersmith. Like, totally, like... It, it sounds like it could be a real job. It's like somebody's, like, profession. Sh- yeah, But also, not? like, it has a dirty connotation. Yeah, it's lingo for a manicurist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I need to go see the fingersmith. <laughs> Oi, my, my nail beds are looking a bit rough. I got clam juice all up in my finger bits. <laughs> oh, best go see the, the, the fingersmith. The fingersmith. <laughs> well, I don't know much about clams. I just keep to me fingersmithing. 
Roy Smith, you are too. <laughs> Me nails never looked better. <laughs> mm, your fingers got a mite ripe smell to them. Don't know what it could have caused that. All oh, that oyster shucking I've been doing. Oh wow! Four <laughs> minutes into this movie, you think I was just We're gonna let that go? We are fucking children. Like we weren't like this with Carol. We weren't like this with Bound. <laughs> like we've done movies with lesbian sex scenes before. <laughs> also, this movie's not British. <laughs> This movie does not have a single Anglo or Saxon in it. That's true. That's true. Okay, Rufa, it's a good movie. Like, let's. I'm making fun of it right now, but it's it's very good. This has so. been on my list for a long time. Like, I think I saw it initially back when we first started the podcast. Like, I saw it like early 2017, okay. or something like that. And I always knew it was like, this is one that, like, if the podcast makes it, like, this is one that I'm going to do. Because I like to space it out. I sure. Don't, I don't like to see a movie new that I really like and then just immediately put it up on the list. I want to, like, give it time. And so, yeah, I, I saw this after the podcast had started, knew that I wanted to do it, but I, I needed a little distance to see if it if it held up in my, my head. Had you seen it before or after Tipping the Velvet? After tipping the velvet. Okay, 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 okay. So maybe it was later than that, even. Maybe it was early 2018 that I saw it. Yeah, 20, it could have been 2017. We watched that summerish of that year. Okay. Because so. I remember when watching Handmaiden, how many similarities there were oh. between this and tipping the velvet. Yeah, it's got like Sarah Waters stamps all over it. We've got like uh, ladies dressing as men. We've got like uh, crossing um, class barriers. Yeah. We've got. Um, lesbianism there's even like a, a grifting conning sort of right. element to it yeah it's it's in three parts like, yeah <laughs> victorian era well this one's 1930s but it was ori- originally done in the victorian era again right so. like, like, like the book fingersmith is was you know in the same time period as tipping the velvet right but this is transposed into the 1930s korea during the japanese occupation right by uh, director, writer, uh, screenwriter Park Chan-wook. Am I saying that right? I th- believe so, okay. yeah. Decided, like, oh, this is a great story, but I want to, like, put it here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the setting change, to mm-hmm. be honest. It's really cool to see, like, the production design, which is, like, half... Like, the house is, like, half Japanese, half, like, British countryside mm-hmm. style. Because um, they say, like... It was either an American or British architect, like, did this wing of, of the mansion. Right. And it looks like it just, like, mashed together, but not, like, unharmonious either. Right. Um, but then also, like, just the the way that they're dressed and, like, all the furnishings around them seems very British mm-hmm. for in some scenes. But, like, you know, they're eating dinner and it's, like, a bowl of noodles. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I love this. This is great. So I was thinking about watching this, how... Opulence is its own reward for the viewer. You know, I, I complained about this years ago with uh, Baz Luhrmann, mm-hmm. where there's these wonderful sets, wonderful costumes, great makeup and design, and, like, we can only see it for, like, four seconds before everything changes. Right. And recently, this was sort of my complaint with uh, the movie The Favorite. 
Oh, where okay. like this is another thing like takes place in like in Versailles, mm-hmm. and like what does he do? Like he dimly lights everything. Like it's supposed to be like naturalistic, but it's not like beautiful naturalistic like Barry Lyndon or something like that. Like it's just dim and you can't see anything. And then he does like horrible fisheye lenses and roving and like right. he overdirected it too much. And then, like, I see this movie that kind of would have roughly the same setting, but he lights it well so you can see everything. And Color correction. Crisp. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about, like, every frame of painting. Like, this, like, everything, there's just vertical lines and patterns and colors, but there's also, like, focal points in every frame that, like, mm. draw the eye to, like, a gravitational center. Mm. And it was just so good. And just, like, the way that, like, he can do a, a just a slight pan and your eye like goes from like one end of of the screen to the other like when the the con artist dude was like in near the beginning like explaining like the grift they're going to try and pull and he's physically blocking our main girl oh, yeah uh-huh. and then like the camera just sort of pans and you see her reveal like yeah that's not a fancy camera trick like he moved the camera over like a foot but it makes for this dynamic shot and just like the way the things are framed with like the the door frame and like the wood paneling like it all is just it's so pleasing to the eye that it doesn't matter that the camera's not doing much yeah we're just happy looking at what's on screen i was thinking yeah the camera moves it does move kind of a lot but it's always very graceful it's purposeful and purposeful two of my favorite shots one is, and we'll, I guess, put a pin in this because we're going to get to it, is the bath scene. One shot is like it's kind of looking up at the one who's standing and you see her face. And then he kind of like swoops it down and tw- Oh, and where she like rubs her tooth? Yeah. Yeah. And then you see the other one's face. Like it's just the movement. It's not like a pan. It's sort of like a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a lot of moves on several axes but it's just beautiful it looks really nice and it allows you to see like both people's faces and then there's another one later where it's like they're in some sort of weird forest with like those like oh yeah like it's like overgrown but like but they're all leafless yeah it's like it's overgrown into like almost like a mini bramble yeah like like growing into one another yeah but it it creates a nice frame like it's it it almost looks like a roof of a house and the way that the people in that shot are are set like one of them is like in uh, what looks like a pyramid shape like so it's like stable but then the other one who's kind of our bad guy is in like an inverted v mm. so like he's in the opposite shape and it's just like just gorgeous yeah <laughs> and it tells you what you need to know about this scene one person is stable who's because she's like pleading for don't emotionally manipulate my lady mm-hmm. and uh he's the one who's like pushing to do it anyway you yeah know? and so like i don't know it's there's a lot of that in this so, I mean, we're just talking about the look of the movie, but really, this movie's like a tour of force in like editing theory because the only people really getting tricked here are the con artist and the audience. Because we go through the whole first act, the first part, there's three parts, roughly three acts. The first two parts are basically the same story told from different points of view. With new information in the second one. Yeah, but like the new information is just the scene that we already saw lasts a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Or we see it just from a different perspective. And like new information is, right. is gleaned. Yeah. 
it's Which uh I, I love that's good storytelling well to me i'm like this is sort of like watching the ends of both back to the future one and two and it's like in two you see that like shit's going on in the background while the stuff from one is happening mm-hmm. it's almost like that a little bit because in part one they just you know it looks like the scene ended so they cut and like we as the audience accept what we saw it makes sense to us and we see how this connects to the following scenes. But then in part two, we'll see the the end of that scene and then it goes further and we get more information. And it's just, I feel like if you were to teach editing theory, like this is what you would show. Like just the fact that like you cut off a, a scene two minutes early changes the whole trajectory of what the audience thinks is happening. Right. Uh, or and- just change the perspective of the same scene. Like one time uh, there's a shot where we're seeing it from the handmaiden's point of view. And then we just, in the second half, we see it on the opposite side of the door. We see it from the countess's point of view or whatever yeah. her, her name is. Um, and it's just like diff- totally different thing. It, it's totally different. But because like so much of it is similar and overlapping a little bit and the odd, like a lot of act two is just like, oh. Oh, oh, oh. Like, yeah, yeah. It really avoids, like, the typical act two slump of a movie by basically regurgitating act one with new information. And it just, it makes it feel alive. It's cool because, like, act one ends with a double cross. And you're like, oh, that's shocking. Plot yeah. twist. And so then act two goes back and sort of, like, shows how oh the character that did the double cross we can see how all the scenes previously were different mean different things because she was double crossing but by the end of act two you realize that oh shit they're both double crossing it's a triple cross (laughs) the dude who's like trying to fuck them both over yeah and uh you don't. Re- you kind of realize that near the end of Act Two, right? You kind of get the idea, like it. It starts coming together that like he's been pulling the strings on pulling both their strings, both their strings. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's just. I mean, it's good storytelling. I'm just gonna oh, say, yeah. like, it's really cool to just go through the same story again with new information. You know, it reminded me, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it reminds me of time crimes a little bit where it's like, Oh, okay. Kind of, you just going through the same. God, uh, when are we going to do that one on the podcast? Absolutely. Put a pin in that for some time in the future. (laughs) I just like that economy and it's a cool, elegant way to tell this story. Mm -hmm. And uh, good job, Sarah Waters. I'm (laughs) going to give credit to her for that one. Because there's so many similarities between this and tipping the velvet. It really highlights, to me, what a good director can do with material. I know. It makes me want to see another version of Tipping the Velvet that really, like, gets at the heart of it. Yeah, like if Todd Haynes did Tipping the Velvet or something like that, like, (sighs) how would it be different? I just got chills. (laughs) I mean, I can't stress how similar they really are. Yeah. In arc, in character dynamic, in the relationships between, like, the principal players... We hated tipping the belt. Like, we loved it on, on the scale. Like, I don't remember who brought this up over the weekend when we were out uh, with Eric Blood. But there's, like, the scale of, like, 10 being a great movie. But then the scale goes to negative 10, and 10 is, like, so bad it's good. Uh-huh. Tipping the Velvet's definitely, like, in, like, the negative 5 region. Oh, I was going to say, like, negative 8. <laughs> okay, yeah. But 
you see Handmaiden and you're like, oh, this same material can be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was a lot of things like the 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 setting and everything was gorgeous and the cinematography was gorgeous. But some other director could take Tipping the Velvet and give it the same treatment. Yeah, you'd need to do some... Uh... I mean, editing is not the right word. You'd really just need to pick the choice bits. Like, streamline. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay, you could really streamline sure. the story of Tipping the Velvet into... And I mean, this movie's not short. Let's be honest. It's a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. But it, that's plenty of time to tell the story. It flies by, honestly. And I think you could tell Tipping the Velvet into in a two and a half hour streamlined version. I mean, Tipping the Velvet's only three hours. So it's not like they'd have to cut that much out of it. Right. I would say you could cut uh, a lot of like the original courtship. Would you uh, uh, Would you leave in the oyster shucking? Oh, yeah. That's integral. <laughs> yeah. Nan's not Nan if she's not shucking oysters. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. Even though it's super classist, I really like the quote about like a good handmaiden, how... They're like chopsticks. Oh, like, right. You don't necessarily notice them when they're there, but without them causes great distress. Sure. It's the way I feel about accounting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should add the filmmaker, he's Korean, but the movie is multilingual. <sighs> yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. Coming <laughs> in, just so you know. <laughs> well, not a movie for uh, eating an edible for, just <laughs> unless you want to try and read and discern which language you're hearing them speaking and you don't and you're not fluent in korean and japanese right so i i watched the movie streaming on amazon last night but for me it was the korean subtitles were in white yes and japanese and yellow yeah mine was too okay after a while i had to give up on like figuring that out that part out because i was just like i just need to like focus on the story (laughs) because there's already a lot going on and to try to discern like what it means when they're speaking in Korean and what they're speak when they're speaking in Japanese, I was like, I can't. Like, there's maybe on second viewing, I'll figure that stuff out. But like, well, yeah, because I, I didn't feel that it was necessarily like it didn't adhere to a strict code of like when they're talking down to someone, it's in Japanese, and when they're trying to be covert, it's in Korean. Like, I couldn't find a strong pattern like that. But it happened enough that you're like. It's meaningful. It's meaningful in yeah. some way. And I yeah. mean, it might just have to do with like this was at a time when Japan had annexed Korea. So it, it might have to do with like a dominant power Sub. culture thing going on, which there is a little DS stuff going on that I don't think is made super explicit. But it's hinted at. I mean, the uncle is fucking sadistic as well, fuck. Uh, well, I, no, <laughs> I mean, the uncle notwithstanding, which we'll get to him, because I don't think there's a scene where he isn't crazy. <laughs> but when the handmaiden is kind of going through the countess's belongings, so right. near the beginning, you know, she finds the like the three bells or whatever, the, the, the locket. Right. And then she also finds that thing of rope. Right. Then, like, in part two... We see that, like, as a child, the Countess, like, as punishment would be, like, beaten with these bells over her hand. And they're, like, brass bells. Like, they're not soft. Something metal, yeah. And that her aunt hung herself. With the rope. With the rope. And so, like, if it was just the rope, I'd say that it was just, like, sort of an unhealthy attachment to trauma. But the bells, I'm like, oh, maybe she likes pain a little bit it's it's like the idea that it was like the bells and the rope 
together in the scene. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, she she likes punishment. I have a note, and I really can't remember from what point in the movie this is from, but I have a note that says that the Countess is sadistic herself a little bit. I'm trying well, wouldn't she be masochist technically? She's definitely a masochist, but I think that, that she also likes doling out the pain a little bit too because there's a scene where she's with the handmaiden... I don't remember what it was, but there was, I think it might even be like during the big sex scene where it was like, oh, she seems like she's kind of like. Oh, the one in part two? Yeah, a little, being a little sadistic. So I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, Do you feel that sex scenes were all gratuitous? No. No? No. I felt that they were a little staged and like sort of porny, but I think. Male gazy? Yeah, maybe, but I mean, like, the movie. The, you have to remember that these, oh, I'm assuming that these are both women who are having sex with another woman for the first time, mm-hmm. and their education is those dirty birdie books that um, the uncle has. <laughs> so they're like, this must be what sex is. So that's why they're doing it in the way that they're doing it. I just felt like it, not that I'm complaining, because, and if I was into ladies, I feel like I would have creamed several times during those sequences because they got steamy. Like they, gentlemen who love ladies and ladies who love ladies, chime in. Help <laughs> us help us with these. I would say that it wasn't quite as sexy as Bound, but I think it was sexier than Carol. I think that bathtub scene is hot. Oh, well, yeah. I mean there's something about like not touching just makes it hotter. Just like fingers in mouths is very Intimate. That's such an intimate thing is to put your fingers in someone's mouth. Well, yeah, because, like, the way the Countess was, like, sitting there with her mouth open, mm-hmm. like, that's, like, just submissive, and then, like, they're just quiet, because obviously, like, she can't talk when someone's finger's in her mouth. Right, but like, she's, like, just, she has a thimble on like her finger. Like, fingering her mouth pole, like, yeah. yeah. And then she's, like, of course, while she's doing it, she looks down, and she sees her boobs, and, yep. they're, and they're, like, there's, like, petals floating around it, and you're, like... I mean, I'm getting a little hot thinking about it. <laughs> it's sexy. This is like what Skinamax like aims for, but like never succeeds with. It's a good example of the um, Act One, Act Two differences because in Act One we see that scene and we think it ends with her getting up and being like, "Okay, your tooth is ground down now," mm-hmm. and it's like that was it. So there's like no release. But then in the Act Two one, she's like. Uh, the countess is like get in the bath with me yeah and she does yeah so you're like oh they've been naked together before yeah but then yeah during the sex scene in part one it kind of looks like the handmaiden just goes down on the countess <laughs> that's a lot more than that and then in in part two we see like what really happened and it was a whole bunch of stuff there was a lot of fingersmithing going on <laughs> But there was. Oh, some- he looked like. <laughs> looks like your downstairs kittens are, are locked up. Better call the fingersmith. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like the '69ing that they do, and there's something about like the, the music that plays that kind of reminded me of uh, from Carol. Who did the music in Carol? Oh, uh, Curtis Carter Burwell. Barwell. <laughs> It kind of reminded me of that, like the gently minimalist score, uh, and 
it made it feel real romantic and almost triumphant. Yeah. It's a little OTT, I'll be honest. Like it's it's there's it's approaching the like blowjob scene from the shipping of Velvet. <laughs> well But both parties are enjoying it. <laughs> there's one part that's in it or or one aspect of the sex scene that's in both one and two, and it's when the handmaiden kind of like puts her face <laughs> between the countess's legs. And yeah. it's, it it's sort of like closed in a little bit like you're getting like the, a the little legs. claustrophobic yeah from the legs and at, like i watch it this time and i just i hear jafar in my voice going behold the cave of wonders <laughs> like i feel like she puts her head down there and she can just feel like a strong wind blowing out or something yeah, it's a funny angle. <laughs> it's just it, it, and like that. it's just it's framed a little odd. Like, and I'm sure there was meaning and thought behind it, but just like the way that it looks and like her, the kind of surprise on her face. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it's comical, but it's a little bit outside the normal surprised look. Hey, maybe that's what I look like in in similar situations, but. Yeah, and like the way that like she goes to like you know she leans in with like her tongue out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's just like this is a little funny. This is a little corny. Not super corny. It's it's a little little funny. You're not down with VPOV. VPO vagina point of view. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little silly. I'm with you. But in part two, when they show the full thing, I, I think I felt about it the way that you felt about the sex scene in Carol. Mm-hmm. Did you cry during it? like, Or or did you just Not feel... during the sex scene. Okay. I thought it was hot. Oh, okay. For me, I was just like emotionally on board. I was just like, yes. In this movie? Lose yourself in this. And, yeah. and like it looks like they did. Oh, yeah. And just, like, the way that, like, the camera pulls up and, like, it cranes up and twists and they're on the, like, the beautiful satiny bed. I mean, my question is, like, okay, so I don't know if this was a story I was just telling myself or what, but is this the first time they both had lesbian-style sex? That's definitely the impression that I got. Like, there's nothing about either of their backstories that would lead me to believe that they'd had lesbian sex before. This is another Sarah Waters, like, stamp is, like... No one's surprised or like There's weirded no out. Hand wringing yeah, about it. She's just like, oh no, I'm I'm into this, and like everyone who's into same sex attraction is just cool with it. Yeah, and it's you know it really <laughs> points out what a burdensome thing that is living in society because <laughs> it's like look at what this great story we can tell if we don't have to worry about that shit. You know, like it's really refreshing. It's also got that like Highsmith quality to it that it's like. You can be gay and like being gay is almost like being a spy. Because mm. a, I love grift and con movies. Oh yeah, uh, that's just if you're trying to pull one over on someone else, you know, pull a con job, pull some sort of grift. I'm here. Like I even like you know rounders and things like that. Sure. Like movies that like aren't even that good, but if they have a nice solid con at the heart of them. I'm here for same, it. Same, 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 same. There's something about it. Just like the idea that it's like a gay story. It, there's a con. Then you have these opulent settings as well. And then we get to part three. There's even like macabre violence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what more do you want in a movie, people? <laughs> it's got it all. It's got plot twists, sex, 
Intrigue, cons. Oh, I mean, I mean, the plot twist, like, when you get to the end of Act 1, and they're pulling the Handmaiden off to, like, the, the asylum, like, you're really like, what is going on? I know, I thought the movie was going to continue on in the asylum. I was like, fuck! It really, like, defies a lot of expectations, which is really fun. So, if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you've seen the movie, because maybe we should have put that at the beginning. Watch the movie first, because the joy... My favorite part of watching it was just discovering mm-hmm. what's going to happen next. Like, it's really good to just go in knowing nothing. There's a joy in just watching this movie unfold. Yeah. So we got to talk about the uncle. What a twisted, sadistic fuck. Who's crazy in some manner. Maybe he just has rich person's disease. <laughs> he is Korean, but he sold out to the Japanese because they offered him a mine in Japan. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. Uh, great. I'm working for Japan now. And he collects erotic books. Like, he he presents himself as just an avid reader, but we find out as the movie goes along that he's more or less just a smut peddler, that he likes these erotic books, and he likes the dirty pictures that come in them and the stories that they tell. And he has these crazy staged readings for people to maybe buy the books. Yeah, the Countess, because, like, she's wealthy, but it's like, essentially held up in a trust to put it in like modern American terms. And he's the, uh, the guardian over that trust. The custodian, I guess is the, the correct term. And the sick fuck he is. He's waiting for her to be of marrying age and he's going to marry her and then try and take her money. Right. That's uh, his niece people. Yeah. Ugh. Well, she, cause he was married and then the aunt committed suicide, hung right. herself from a cherry tree, which maybe because of the way he treated her. Yeah. Let's be honest. Oh, real quick, uh, at the very, very beginning, when the handmaiden is being, like, shown around, she's like, the, the countess's room is right over here. We must be very quiet because she, she suffers from nerves. I'm like, what a fucking rich person problem. <laughs> I have nerves. Like, she doesn't have a job. She walks around. She reads dirty books. And, like, but she suffers from nerves. I'm like, fucking rich people. <laughs> anyway, so... We find out that the Countess is sort of, I mean, I don't know if forced is the right term, but coerced, maybe, into doing these readings from these dirty novels. Uh, I'm going to go with forced. Yeah, but, okay. But it seems like she's... I mean, no one's holding the gun to her head, but it's like the circumstances are definitely making it necessary for her yeah. to... There's like a quote-unquote basement that uh, is a threat that we never actually see. Well... The basement's where the the con artist dude ends up. Oh, okay. Because like that makes sense. When the little girl goes down there, like we hear like the the gloopy gloppy Gloopenheim, Gloopenheim. sound. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, basement's uh. the Gloopenheim. And then we hear that sound again when the con artist dude is down there and he's he's strapped up. Okay, 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 okay. But I mean, it, it, they make it seem like she doesn't really have a choice in the matter. It's like you're going to read these dirty novels and you're going to make people buy these mm-hmm. these stories and that's going to make them want to uh buy these books yeah these so forgeries like, basically because he makes forgeries of these books oh he does yeah they were f- that's why the con artist dude was able to get in the count because he was like the one who would paint the fake tentacle porn <laughs> oh i missed that part i'm pretty sure okay i mean that would make sense yeah. maybe it's the beginning of part two uh, the uncle like holds up this book saying like there was a picture in this book but it was ripped out and like someone even says like 
well, if that hadn't been ripped out, you could just name your price and someone would pay it. But like, instead they have to like auction it off, but he's not actually that upset about it. So if it was a forgery, that would sort of make a little more sense. Yeah, I, that's that was, I gleaned that. Okay. Okay. Sure. You might be right. You might be right. I will say this is another Sarah Waters thing. Like as soon as, as soon as these like strange readings were happening, I'm like, oh, this is Nan being presented to this weird cabal of lesbians. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, oh, she just always takes it to this bizarre place that yep. I'm like, doesn't actually in this. And in this instance, I'm kind of like, you know, it's not entirely outside the realm of belief because it's like, yeah, you don't have uh, porn movies. So, like, why not have, like, a sexy woman all painted up reading them to you? Right. Um, and it's all just gentlemen listening to that. They're all, like, shifting uncomfortably as she gets to spots, which, like, I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But um, it was the weird puppet, like, thing that I was like, okay. <laughs> now we've gone into, like, absurd territory. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, the like, yeah, the full body, like, yeah. Because uh... the illustration got torn out, the aforementioned one. You still are like, oh, we'll show you. Yeah. This is what you're missing. Like, and what's the name of it of, like, the little figures that, like, artists use when, like, drawing portraits that, like, oh yeah they can... Like an articulated... Uh... Yeah. I, I, I'm sure that there's a term for these little figures that, like... You've you know, seen them. That, that artists put in, like, human poses and they can use to sketch off of. Yeah. But, uh, it's basically a, a life-size version of that that the Countess has to, like, kind of recreate a sex scene yeah. with. Where he's getting choked and she's getting fucked from behind but floating in air. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a thing. And th that, that was the exact scene that I was like, if some... Like I'm just like this is crazy, like this is insane <laughs> yeah. imagery that if we're watching. If someone walks in while you're watching this movie, they're like, "What's going on?" You're like, "I don't even know." Yeah, where to start. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, just just enjoy it. <laughs> it's bananas at that point, but I'm uh, I don't know. You're kind of there with it because like the, yeah. it, it's not totally like removed from the movie. It, it's not like a huge tonal shift. It's just very strange. Yeah, it's not outside the realm of belief, but it's real close. It's right <laughs> on the border. Yeah, it it's fingering its way to the, the edge there. <laughs> um, okay, question for you then. Have you ever watched like a sexy scene in a movie or even just like a porno with other people? And then like, you know, once like the sexy stuff starts happening, everyone just starts like shifting uncomfortably. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been to hump many times. Okay, uh-huh. Uh, and I don't remember too many uncomfortable things. I definitely remember, uh, my ex, uh, uh, I'll just say his name this time, Lincoln. There's a series of pornos that he was really into called, like, Black Spark or Black Sparkle or something. Mm, okay. They were amateur stuff, but they had, like, real porn actors in them, but they would often, like, disguise themselves or, like, have, like, handkerchiefs over their face. Oh. And they were super hot. And the one that he liked the most had uh, it was some electronic artist song, and so many times I would come home and he, that song would just be blasting. <laughs> and I remember it was like near the end of our relationship, like he brought up that the specific video that had that song in it, and I was like, "Yeah, too bad there's no real sex in it." And he goes, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Well, it's all just like movie magic. They're not actually having sex, except for like the double cum shot at the end, which." If you're going to fake that, why not just have real sex? And he goes, no, there's absolutely real sex in it. And like, he like pulls it up. And this is at like a game night. There's like 12 other people there. And he's like, see, they're having sex. I was like, you don't actually see any penetration. Like their genitals could be taped down and they're just bumping mm. up against one another. 
And like we, the whole thing's not very long. It's like five minutes. And he gets to the end of it. And he's like, you don't actually see like a hard dick. You don't actually see it go into anyone's butt. He goes, holy shit, you're right. Like there's no actual sex in that movie. And I was like, movie magic, ladies mm. and gentlemen. It gives the illusion that they're having sex and they're not actually having sex. Uh, I just want to say that's how my hump video was. <laughs> but you really rim that guy. Fine, but I mean, I you know, and he definitely like asked my D, but that's about it. Everything else was simulated. And even those things, it was just it was just rote. It was you know just purely for work. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even know we were being videoed. So <laughs> you when you like turn and wink to the camera and nope, say it yeah, gets better. I do that anyway. That's just how I eat ass. So. Yeah, that time when we were all watching porn, I don't know if anyone was tenting their pants or, or, or anything, but because I was trying to prove a point. <laughs> I don't know. I just like this movie really captures that like feel of watching or listening to something that's very like erotic with a group of people and the way people react to it is very much like we all know what we're here for. But but we're all getting turned on, and it's like it's a little uncomfortable at this point. Like, yeah, because like no one like whips out their dick and just like jacks off like you would in yeah. like a, a porno movie theater or something. Right. Like they still all have to like keep their composure as if it's high art instead of like smut. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's both. But yeah. Anyway, sorry, we we got distracted. The uncle's a pervert. Oh yeah, and Big he's gross. Well, because like we're introduced to him when the handmaiden like walks into their library. And there's, like, the statue of a cobra or something. Oh, right. Which, later when she cuts it off, it kind of looks like she's cutting off the head of a dick. Uh-huh. Nice. But he's, like, inking. Like, you know, those olden days when you had to, like, you had, like, a quill and or, or, or you had to ink your pens. And he'd always dab it on his tongue. So his tongue has, like, a permanent ink stain on yeah, it. Yeah, it's gross. And, like, they even mentioned something about how, like, the mercury in ink at the time was primarily why he went crazy or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, they do sort of address that, like, him inking the pen on his tongue helped him lose his grasp on sanity. He's sadistic as fuck. He makes, like, one of his servants carry him around in a chair on the oh, servant's yeah. back. Yeah. And the, the poor servant is like, uh, and he's just like, that servant's probably got thighs for days though. <laughs> Every day's leg day. <laughs> I don't know. And then like later on when they actually do go down into the basement with the octopus and like the paper cutter and shit. Which for fans of Korean cinema, if you've seen Old Boy, there's a very memorable octopus scene in that's that. That's true. That's true. That's the only other movie I've seen by this director. So, I mean, one of the reasons that I chose this, like, I've had it on, on the list for a while, but it's like everyone's doing Parasite now, and in our continuing effort to not capitalize on popular trends, uh, I want to choose a different Korean movie. Because, uh-huh, uh-huh. like, we easily could have done Parasite for the podcast. Sure. We should have done a Quick and Dirty We should have done a Quick and Dirty because we both watched it, like, in the same week. I'll bet I could do one right now. <laughs> but Korea sort of had a cinematic renaissance in the past i guess it now it's been 12 to 15 years but with parasite winning best picture it's sort of really become apparent to the world that this is a country that's been producing very good movies for a while for a while yeah i started paying attention with the host bong joon ho's movie but that's Wait, like which 2007 I mean, yeah that was 2007 i remember my friend alex when she worked at scarecrow 
she recommended a movie called The Chaser to me. And that was like 2009, I want to say. Like, it was like a Region 3 movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that was like the same year that she recommended uh, Memories of a Murder to me. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Another Uh, great Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like Korean cinema has sort of been on my radar since like 2008, 9-ish around then. And of course, I mean, you've been... You're a bigger Bong Joon-ho fan than I am, even. Like, you're the one that was like, you need to watch Mother. Uh, well, an old boy is like 2003, even, or something, right? Like, yeah, it's pretty old at yeah, this point. Yeah, it is pretty old at this point. And that's a great movie. Oh, yeah. Old boy is a very good movie. And Chan Park Walk has, has other good movies, too. Thirst is a very good movie. Okay, okay. Um, but he's a contemporary of Bong Joon-ho. Right. And... I just kind of felt like, yeah, I want to do another Korean film, like another like real top tier Korean film. Everyone's already doing Parasite. Do you want to hear two more white people, white <laughs> dudes talking about Parasite? Hey, There's... we're poor. We can. That's our angle. <laughs> I want to hear some rich people talk about that movie. I really do. Why did they let the servants in the house? <laughs> Why weren't they in the servants' quarters <laughs> out with the fingersmith? <laughs> so... Since Parasite won Best Picture, I've I've wanted to do another Korean film, and I feel like the the closest, like the the biggest contemporary of Bong Joon Ho is probably Park Chan Wook. Sorry, pro- pronunciation is not my strong game, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> Lardies and gentlemen. <laughs> I feel like this is his best movie. It's so sumptuous in in the visuals. It's got a twisty, turny, naughty plot to it. It's gay. The gays win. Uh, yeah. You know, th- uh, against all odds, too. I was like half expecting Cheryl Lynn's, uh, you gotta be real, <laughs> to play during the credits. <laughs> We're gonna hear the jingle bells of those Benoit balls, and then suddenly. Roll credits. It was kind of hot when they were putting the balls in each other's mouths. I know, and that's how it ends. Yeah. You're just like, oh, they're celebrating by having sex. Yep. Lesbian. Lesbian sex. sex. Get it, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of feel bad because, like, our bad game movie season, we didn't do a single lesbian movie, but lesbians are are represented elsewhere in the good movies we choose to watch. That's true. Again, uh, you know, when we did Tipping the Velvet, we were very trepidatious because we were supposed to have a lesbian guide with us at the time and she was unable to be here but since then we're happy to travel to lesbianica and just uh walk the, down the streets the on island of, of the lesbos or the, the yeah the sapphic isles or wherever we need to go i mean i'm treated as a tourist but that's fine i don't <laughs> mind i have my tourist visa yeah, yeah i know uh i know where all the well i know where a great pastry shop will take you to <laughs> Gosh, did we cover everything? Are we already like nearing the end? Well, like, what else do you want to talk about? I don't necessarily think we've covered everything. I just feel like we've been talking a long time, oh. and uh, I don't want to make this episode too terribly long. A, this movie's a little hard to talk about just because I don't want to spoil too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we probably have, but like, the joys in the watching, another one of those. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. so it's like we can describe how beautiful everything is as much as you want, but, but it's like watching it. Is, yeah, it's watching. It's a whole different thing. Two and a half hours flies by. Just Yo, it really does. To be honest, it goes by very quickly. Plot twisty. I mean, it's got everything you want in a movie. It really does. Like, in terms of what I want out of a movie, like, you know, I like it to be sexy. I like it to be twisty turny. And I like there to be surprises. Like, and, and I don't mean just like surprises in terms of plot. 
I want there to be surprises in terms of like what the uncle does to the con artist. Yeah. Like we get to that point, I'm like, holy shit. And what the con artist does to the uncle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keeps you guessing until the very end. Yeah, it's just it's real good. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. This is only my first time watching it. Like it smacks of a movie that would be richer on second viewing. Like I know that there's things that I didn't pick up on. Like I'm kind of now just thinking about it, like the idea that they're able to make that fake passport because they have all that those book faking um oh, right. materials. So it's like, oh, and you know, like then there's the whole theme. Now I'm just like I'm off the cuff here now. Uh, I'm off script. But like they're uh, you know, faking everybody's faking. Like everybody is uh, is trying to double cross, triple cross everybody. You're so right, you're everybody's right. Everybody's a fake. The idea of the books being forgeries fits really well thematically into the rest of the movie. Yeah, because everybody's a forgery of, of something else. Right. You know? like, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, it's not until they like trash all the books that they like live their truth. Which is a very cathartic scene. It's it's mostly yeah. the handmaiden trashing the books and like the countess kinda like aghast off to the side but then she like joins in at the end i'm like yeah that's right like it took her a moment to realize like oh no like this is the side that i'm on she she looks aghast but she's like you also kind of get the impression she's like yeah do it yeah i mean i don't think this is any of our listenership but like for those of you who don't like reading subtitles like do what you can to get over that hump because there is a just a wonderful world of cinema out there if you can get over that hump and I'll say right now, I missed a lot because I was reading and I, I wasn't able to focus on the, like, the cinematography as much as I wanted or like uh, performances as much as I wanted. But you know what? I still loved watching it. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to get, even if you're like reading just for context, you're still going to get a lot out of the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, get get over that. Well, hump. yeah, because like we were talking about how it's multilingual and like, you know, I've seen the movie twice. I don't fully grasp when the different languages connote different things. Yeah. I just earmarked that as like, well, maybe second viewing. Yeah. Someday when I get around to it, I'll, I'll focus on that. But like, it doesn't detract either. Don't let subtitles be a barrier for you because you're missing out on a lot of good stuff otherwise. Mm-hmm. What did uh, Guillermo del Toro say when he, when he won Best Picture a couple of years ago for Shape of Water? Uh, oh, like, now you're just like throwing that out like you knew it all along. <laughs> uh, it could have been Alfonso Cuaron the year before uh, or the year after. One of the Spanish filmmakers that won an Academy Award. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mexican. Mexican filmmakers went up and like when he gave his acceptance speech for one of the awards they won, uh, talked about how he grew up watching the great foreign films like Jaws and The Godfather and yeah. things like that. And, you know, if they'd only watched Spanish-speaking films, like, that would have really limited them to a a whole world of movies. Yeah. And I I think, you know, that was the point that he was trying to make. It was like, subtitles or not, these movies are still great. Watch them without subtitles. You did that with Bo Travai. (laughs) That's right. Episode one. And guess what? I still cried, so... Man, episode one really came out swinging a little bit, didn't it? Hey, whenever I feel that we don't do enough foreign films or female directors, I just got to remember, episode one, French lady director. Hey, you're welcome. Oh, 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 oh,
this is one that I've wanted to do for a while. And we did two hard films right in a row. Like, there's something about Kevin and, uh, you know, we need to talk about Jack. Or just, like, they were a lot to just sit on our chests. But Actually, and this is a movie I've been wanting to watch anyway, ever since we did um, Tipping Development. So, okay, I'm glad. But what do we got coming up next week? Next week, we've got guests. Not one, not two. Wait, yes, two. We have two guests. <laughs> you might remember them from a uh, certain Shelley Long vehicle episode that we did called Hello Again. Hello Again. Freddie Mullich and Scott Shoemaker are rejoining us to talk about a meta movie with us. <sighs> I'm going to have to stock up on Franzia. <laughs> Get all the juice wine. They have selected a movie that I don't know how meta it is because I haven't seen it in a long time. But I'm very excited to revisit it because it's been on my list forever. A little film you may have heard of called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I mean, I fucking love that movie. That deserves to be on AFI. That's how good a movie You're it is. You're not going to hear any complaints from me on that department. I mean, you're going to hear me ramble on about how Robert Zemeckis is, is the greatest virtuoso filmmaker of our day. I think it's probably a good idea to have them back on. Probably not a mistake, right? Back me up here. Uh, well, I mean, I watched Hello again and did not like it, but I still say the phrase, you were dead. You were dead. Because of how they sold that phrase. So. There's a power to that movie. Yeah. Next week, Scott Shoemaker, Freddie Mullich, Shoe and Pants Productions. It's going to be a good time. Uh, would you care to plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Email us on x.rated.movies at gmail.com. If you have a spare 20 seconds, maybe you should leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts. Finger sniffing all the way. We've got a Twitter account. It's X Rated Movies. And follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movie. I mean, Rated, yeah. Whatever it is, you know how to find us. If you've got a spare tuppence or two, you might consider following us and supporting us on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com movies. I think you went to Australian there, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> hey, ne- never turn down a good Australian. <laughs> That's what I always say. Did reduce Razorbix. They're in their left in a lorry in the phone wizard and all over the Malonga Gildachuk. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, we're, we're a mess now. We we're gotta now, go. We're leaving. Uh, goodbye. See you next week. Uh, keep reading for that rainbow. rainbow.